This is Jane Smith reporting for WASP News. We report so you don't have to decide. Now, we're live outside of Sovereign Studios, where a protest has been taking place. Uh, sir, sir, what is going on here? We're going to put an end to his godless hedonism. He's corrupting the entire planet. Uh, you must be talking about the golden stallion of the tech world, Brian Sovereign. That's right. That sex fiend of an anarchist has crossed the line. We're going to rip his triple black clothing and then him to shreds. But Brian Sovereign believes in nonviolence. We don't care. He wants to end government and wants to pervert science and technology to do it. Brian Sovereign has to be stopped. This just in. Brian Sovereign is coming out of the studio. said in the beginning of the intro here to corrupt the entire planet baby with science and technology you better believe it it is the golden stallion the man of tomorrow savzu the rated r radio star ready to go and man do we have a lot to cover this week but first i wanted to open it up i tell you i just realized now if other people don't know this tradition okay you're going to have to go to universe.sovereigntech.com or you can go to zog.email. If you scroll down, you can find it. Okay. There is an entire sovereign universe that exists around this show, which is a nonfiction show, but the universe is fiction. There's short fiction that comes out uh, on in the newsletter for that. There's the intros that run in every episode um, that is further parts of the story. Uh, I mean, like there's just, there's so much, even the video games are tied into this. Uh, and wow, is there a lot of news to cover as far as all that goes, but I'm going to have to hold off on that. Um, but I just realized like in the past couple of weeks, I was like, holy shit, Halloween's coming. I got to get the Halloween special done, which is a fictional episode that I do every year where just the most amazing women on the planet, uh, you know, help out uh, with the show. They take part in it. They play their characters, the whole thing. And then there's myself and whatever other characters kind of come along. Uh, it is always a fun time. If you haven't heard the ones in the past, uh, this this year is, in, in a way, going to be the completion of a trilogy. It's going to be Soviet Tech 3. And if you haven't heard the early ones, like I said, just go to universe.sovereigntech.com uh, and, and you can find it uh, and you can listen to those episodes. People still listen to them over and over again. They, they just they love it. So 
anyway, I just realized that I have to do that. And I was like, wow, I don't have the script. I don't, I, I've got to knock out the script. I got to make sure everybody's lined up for it, which everybody is lined up for it. it it's going to be fantastic. There's some uh, new ladies that will be joining as well. Uh, so this is going to be, I don't know how the hell I'm going to do it, but somehow I'll top last year. <laughs> And I'll keep topping it. I'm not sure. Eventually, I'm just going to have to do video or something. I hell, fuck, I don't know. But anyway, uh, but that is coming up since we're in September now, and I mean that that puts it a little over a month away. So I've got a I've got a lot of work ahead of me. Um, got a lot of other things that that uh, need to be coming out throughout September. September, I want it to be a very important month uh, for patrons, where a lot of a lot of projects, the extant projects, finally get their release. Uh, and have it be a good time. So I've gotten some new patrons and also a lot of patrons uh, actually had some patrons leave, but other patrons uh, seemingly in response, just up their donation amounts. And I love you. And, you know, I'm, I'm really honored by that. But if you want to become a patron, of course, just go to SovereignTech.com. Anyway, let's start getting into these stories because holy shit, is there a lot of wild stuff to cover? Um, oh, 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 wait. All right. Before I do that, Please don't forget. And I've you I've seen the pictures. Everybody has been sharing pictures of them wearing it or drinking from the mug or whatever. If you haven't gotten your Sovereign Tech t-shirt yet, get on this. Your hell, you could get a hoodie, you could get a tank top, what whatever you want. Okay, just go to store.sovereigntech.com. That's it. store.sovereigntech.com and you can purchase t-shirts, there's stickers, there's a mug, there's hoodies, there's all all kinds of stuff. Uh people love it. I mean, I, and I I've I've seen some of the ladies wearing this and oh man, I mean just I'm so glad everybody loves the shirt. I think it looks great on all of you. Uh, thank you so much. I'm honored. Uh, it, it's really, really, it's something I should have done a long time ago, but it's great now to finally have uh, these T-shirts available. So store.sovereigntech.com. All right, so now let's follow up on something that uh, really, after a fashion, took up a couple episodes recently of Sovereign Tech. Uh, that being the app, or the site more particularly, Sarah Ha, which Sarah Ha is this... Well, we described it, but bottom line, it's supposed to be where somebody can relatively anonymously, uh, especially compared to other apps, <laughs> but relatively anonymously uh, send you a message saying whatever. And I've read a bunch of them. I've done little mini Q&As uh, during Sovereign Tech Prime episodes. Usually I only do those during uh, on Wednesdays for Patreon. But uh, but I did it on Sovereign Tech Prime episodes. And, and I've gotten a lot of other, I mean, like somebody this week sent me a message that said, you could be the captain of my starship anytime with a kissy face. And I, whoo, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> but um, yeah, so uh so anyway, people have messaged me. It's like sovereign.saraha. That's S-A-R-A-H-A-H to, to be able to message me on that. Now, it came out this week via The Intercept, and there's a link in the show notes if you want to check this out. But it came out that apparently, uh, specifically on Android, this seemed to be the, where it's the most egregious, that if you installed the app on Android, it would upload your contacts and some other information to Sarah Ha's servers. This was discovered uh, by a hacker, Bravo. Um, and here's the thing, okay? Now, a lot of people, I mean, Sovereign Tech listeners that shared this with me, I know you know what's up, okay? Like, I, I know you know the deal, but I noticed a lot of people who I know aren't as knowledgeable were sharing it around saying, oh, stop using this, stop using this. No, 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 no. No. Okay. Now, like I said, look, Sarah Ha is not my idea of a perfect app or a perfect service or anything like that. I find it intriguing and fun. Okay. That's, that's about it. But let's be clear here. 
that the only way that those contacts get uploaded, I mean, is by a few. There's a few different ways that this happens. One of them is, is if you're using a pre, I guess that would be pre marshmallow, because I think it was marshmallow when when Google started uh, adding in the or allowing for uh, granular permissions for various apps to access. Like you can tell apps, no, I don't want you to access the microphone. Granted, it's a soft switch, it's a software switch. So you're, you're taking their word for it that it's not going to. But but anyway, uh, yeah. So if it's any any Android device pre Marshmallow, uh, which I don't know the exact figures on how on what the because Google releases like every year or maybe even every quarter, how many devices are using, say, you know, Android 7.0, you know, Nougat, or how many are using Oreo, uh, which Oreo would be a very small number right now, even though it's out there. Uh, so if you don't have the granular permissions controls on your apps, then yes, it would do that automatically. If you installed the Saraha app on your Android phone that is Marshmallow, you know, 6.0 and higher, then if you allowed it to get access to your contacts, Yes, it would upload those. If you said deny, it was not. It will not upload, and this has been tested. It will not upload your contacts or any other information, uh, or you know any other any other uh, non-app specific information to to Sarah's servers. If you are using the website, and again, this was one of the reasons that I found Sarah like acceptable, was because it didn't. You actually didn't have to have an account to use it. You could be completely anonymous. You know, or at least as anonymous as, as can be, you know, depending on what else you do on the back end. Maybe you access it through a VPN and, you know, use a separate browser and, you know, switch up the IP, whatever. OK. So, you know, that that's why it was it, this was this was tolerable. All right. So but if you're using the website, the website, you, I mean, it's not getting any access to anything on your computer. So there's no uploading going on through there. In fact, again, you don't even need to identify who you are. You don't even need to use your account and you can mask yourself, you know, using various, uh, you know, various software and technologies anyway. So, yes, Sarah ha is secretly uploading your contacts. OK, only if you de- depending upon your Android version, if you're giving them permission um, and if you're using the app, which even on mobile, look, you can just use, I don't know, Firefox or Chrome, say on Android specifically. And I think iOS doesn't allow for it anyway. I think iOS, it wasn't a problem, but, um, but anyway, but you could just access the website, you know, uh, through, through a web browser on your mobile device. There is no need to install the app. Okay. So, so let, let's, let's just be clear on that. Yep. That they're secretly doing that. Yep. That sucks. But really the bulk of people that were using this, uh, myself included, it didn't affect them, you know, because they either said deny on accessing contacts, which is a great thing to do with most apps anyway, unless you really want that feature. Um, or, you know, and a lot of people were just like they even told me they were just using the website as it was. They didn't even really make an account. So there you go. That's that's the reality around what happened with uh, with Sarah. Ha. So I still have an account open, uh, you know, and and. For me, no worries. Like I'm not allowing the app to do anything crazy. Uh, actually, I, I uninstalled the app, but um, even though I had already told, you know denied it, pretty much every permission that it asked for. Uh, so, all right, let's move on. Now, here's an interesting story. This is where things. <laughs> Ooh, uh, I did not expect this, and this is something. Talk about secrets. This is the outcrop of a the byproduct of a secret relationship that has been going on for a year. This is a very between between two women. Yeah, exactly. And the name of those two women, Cortana and Alexa. Woo! 
So the New York Times reported a couple days ago, and this is being recorded on September 2nd, 2017, so pretty much probably like August 31st, uh, the New York Times uh, you know, reported, they had a whole story that now, and, and of course it wasn't like a secret report necessarily, I mean, both Microsoft and Amazon have commented on this fact because it's relevant to both of their technologies, Alexa and Cortana, their two digital assistants. Um, they 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 all came out and confirmed this is absolutely true that in the near future, supposedly by end of 2017, by end of year, that there will be integration where Cortana can access can access Alexa and in turn, Alexa can access Cortana. Now, there's a few things to to say about this. I mean, it was interesting to hear Bezos, you know, Jeff Bezos and Satya Nadella really talking it up and being very friendly. And I, I mean, this is the kind of thing. First off, it shows the new Microsoft, obviously. OK, because Microsoft five years ago wouldn't have done any of this. Not, you know, not a stitch. We talked about at episode 200, which what are we up to? Episode 240, 241 now. <laughs> Sovereign Tech Amazing. But anyway, we talked about at episode 200, which to me just seems like yesterday. Uh, I said, look, you need to erase. I mean, keep in mind the history of these companies like Apple, all the tech giants. Keep in mind the history of them. But for most of them, they're in a new they're in a new world right now. You know, they're they're on a new playing field and and their history doesn't necessarily matter. And Microsoft is a completely new company these days. I mean, it, it's just, you know, stop thinking about the ball, Steve Ballmer days, the Bill Gates days and all that. Microsoft has, has I mean, they're just they have a different attitude, different way of doing business, uh, different way of everything. Because, again, this would have never happened. They would have just said no. You know, just like if they would have treated Cortana like it was an Internet Explorer. Nope. Cortana is everything. Uh, we don't we don't believe that any of these other, you know, that Alexa or Siri or Google Assistant even exist. Uh, you know, it's us and only us. You deal with us or you die. You know, I mean, that was kind of the the proverbial attitude of, uh, you know, of Microsoft or the metaphorical attitude of Microsoft, I should say. Um, that's obviously changed. And obviously they see, you know, first off, well, no, I keep saying first off, understand Cortana has almost no market share as far as digital assistants go by comparison to, you know, Siri, Google assistant, or most certainly the, the, you know, the biggest of the bunch, um, now anyway, that being Alexa, you know, the Amazon echo. Okay. So it's a win really for Microsoft to, to access Alexa. I don't know that there's any real win. There's one thing that comes to mind for me, but I don't know of any real win for Amazon to like have access to Cortana. That doesn't necessarily make sense. There's one scenario where it does. Okay. Having Cortana work on Alexa obviously makes sense because that gives that suddenly gives Cortana the opportunity for a lot more market share. Okay. And Admittedly, it's a little tough to be able to act to access one and uh, or a little awkward to access one or the other because you have to say um, Alexa open Cortana or vice versa. If you're on, say, your PC, you would say or on your maybe like your Android phone or something where you have Cortana installed, you would say Cortana uh, open Alexa. So there's this extra command and then you can start talking to Alexa like it's always there. I can't imagine where that extra command would no longer exist. I think when it comes to voice operated, uh, you know, interfaces that you you cannot be adding in words like that, like that's kind of a death knell. So I don't know how well I see all this working out. But regardless, I can understand why Amazon might go with this. OK, now, like we've talked about many times over the past couple of years on Sovereign Tech, really Windows 10, a lot of these other things that Microsoft has going on. 
are just are, are really legacy UIs. Okay, they're they're legacy user interfaces. What Microsoft's real bread and butter is not it's not even Office. It's not Windows. It's not Office. Uh, what it really is is Cortana. Cortana is the genuine operating system, and Cortana at the end of, at the end of the day is really you know Microsoft's uh, Azure servers, right? Which powers a fair chunk of the internet. Certainly not the amount that. Uh, you know, that, that, uh, Amazon does with a, you know, with AWS and all that. But regardless, Cortana is the real product that Microsoft is banking on right now, which, which is why they can partly get away from a mobile strategy, you know, because as long as they can put Cortana on every device, including now, you know, Amazon echoes, uh, then, then they're fine. So, but here's the thing is that Cortana is, you know, while it is the really the operating system that controls or while it's really the back end back end behind everything, whether people realize it or not, it just is. Okay. Well, I think it's the back end of windows. It's also the back end of office at the end of the day. And that's the one advantage that Microsoft can offer to Amazon. That's where I get all the advantages that Microsoft is getting by teaming up with Amazon. Those are, I mean, to, to any sovereign tech listener, th- those should be apparent, you know, because of the Amazon world domination tour that we talk about all the time. All right. Uh, but for Microsoft or, you know, for the other way around, I think Amazon, yeah, they don't have an office suite and they've tried like with their, even with their, their Kindle uh, fire tablets, they've tried to get into sort of the workspace and all that. And it hasn't been very successful as to where honestly, Microsoft owns the business place, you know, the enterprise space and all of that. So to have that integration, I see that that must be where the win-win is happening is because Cortana gives Amazon access to everything that's happening within Office 365 subscriptions. Okay, so that's the winner for that. That's that's why Amazon would get this. Otherwise, like it just doesn't make any sense. Like, fuck Amazon, just buy Microsoft already, you know, but this is where you want to keep it. You know, you want to keep Microsoft doing what it does best. And right now, Microsoft's real moneymaker is Office 365. So I think that that makes a lot of sense that, you know, that that's worth bringing up. And that's what I where I think that they uh, that it matters. But I don't know how often like, again, this is a two way street, but I don't know how many people are going to drive on the other side of the road, meaning Cortana talking to Alexa. I can imagine a lot of Alexa talking or I can imagine Alexa actually the other way around. I Yeah. Bottom line, I don't see a whole lot of people making use of Cortana. Um, I think that this is going to be uh, an advantage a deal. Again, this deal was made like a year ago. They've been working on this for a long time. Uh, this was a very secret operation going on, which is amazing that nobody heard about it. And then nobody knew anything of it, um, considering that, I mean, a year is a long time to keep something fucking secret, something this big, you know, now that which actually leads to another point. How are they able to keep those secrets? Well, I find it fascinating that you have and, and I've said this before that I and I still do. I really do. I really think Silicon Valley is absolutely in a bubble right now. OK, I know people are like they said, well, two years ago, the bubble should have popped. No, it's, OK, so it's still going on. Maybe they got a little reprieve from in getting involved in ICOs and dealing with blockchain technologies and all this. But it's still a bubble that is really just waiting to pop. Now, I said at once that crash happens in San Francisco and wherever else. And I feel bad for people living there. OK, once that happens. You're the, the companies that will survive are out of Silicon Valley. Guess what? That's not Apple or Google. That's three companies in Washington state. That being Amazon out of Seattle and Nintendo of America. Ooh, didn't see that one coming. And Microsoft out of, out of Redmond in, in, you know, Redmond, Washington. 
Okay. Uh, I see those three companies like they will be the major tech companies and kind of a lot of the trends last week on the show. We talked about sort of the trends with like, you know, all these different cameras being on all these odd places uh, on devices, on premium devices, and that this is kind of an AR play in a lot of this. I mean, Nintendo, like I said, Nintendo has actually has always been way ahead of the curve of every single other company. And they've been able to do that by ignoring all of the other companies. Okay. Um, I, I see it as they would be able to capitalize, especially if Silicon Valley were in any kind of trouble. They could capitalize on top of that, especially if there were more secret deals going on, particularly like, say, with Pokemon, you know, some of these AR deals, which I know those are going through Niantic, which is supposedly spun out and not really owned by Google anymore. But uh, anyway, um, I could I could see, you know, kind of a kind of a, a trinity, you know, happening. Uh, outside of the eventual crash of Silicon Valley uh, and it all happening right in Washington. Like that's where I would be. You know, if I was working in the tech space hard right now, uh, you know, and it wasn't with like a remote company of some kind, if I had to actually work for a company, I would not be in Silicon Valley. I would be, you know, I'd be getting my ass up to Redmond or Seattle, like in a heartbeat. Okay. Uh, Not that Amazon is a good company to work for. As far as I understand it, quite the opposite. Okay. But Bottom line being is that this is where a lot of the action is happening. And I think this is part of that. Part of the reason that they were able to keep this so secret is because they exist. Those two companies, Amazon and Microsoft, get to they exist outside of Silicon Valley. So they can make all kinds of wild plays. This is how Microsoft, I mean, I think we talked about this last week. This is how Microsoft was able to pivot so well because they, you know, they're outside of Silicon Valley. So Silicon Valley can't really, doesn't spy on them or has a little bit of a harder time spying on them as compared to, you know, being able to listen at every coffee shop in San Francisco or Oakland or something, uh, you know, otherwise. Um, but because of that, Microsoft has kept a lot of their great, a lot of the great engineers and great employees that have been in the business for, you know, decades because they don't want to leave. They don't want to leave their families. And, you know, they have they have roots planted in Redmond. So they don't go to other companies and they stay there. But you have such great they have such great talent there that 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 they can make these kinds of pivots and they can do stuff like this where now they're you know, they're integrating with what is becoming one of the largest, uh, you know, tech ecosystems on the planet, that being Alexa. So very interesting uh, that this happened. I don't I don't think it spells doom for Microsoft. Uh, Certainly doesn't spell doom for for Amazon, but it does give Amazon a whole lot more avenues, uh, you know, as far as what's what what can go on with this. And they were open. Nadella came out and said, hey, you know, if if Apple and Google want to play ball with us, too, you know, we're we're happy to do that. But, you know, nobody expects that to happen. Uh, In fact, Apple really fucking needs it, quite frankly. In fact, I mean, Cortana's better is the only thing that Cortana. Well, okay, there's a lot of great features about Cortana, but. It can eat one thing that nobody I think would argue about is that, yes, Cortana is better than Siri, you know, when you're actually using it and you have it and you're in Microsoft's ecosystem. Uh, Siri is, you know, shit. I mean, everybody almost that's almost universally agreed upon. Um, So but we'll see. Anyway, this is an interesting partnership, kind of a. Well, I I think it starts to to show the new times are coming in a very real sense. So anyway, let's move on. We've got some other stories here uh, that I want to get to. You know, speaking of integration, real quick, I want to mention, so IFA was happening, uh, well, it's happening now, I think, still. Uh, IFA is a huge consumer electronics show that uh, occurs in Berlin every year. Um, I've been to an IFA, uh, and, you know, sometimes there's exciting stuff that happens there, stuff that happens outside of CES. Of course, that's one of the, you know, that's the big one that happens in Vegas generally in January. Um, there, you know, I was looking at the IFA news because usually for Patreon, I'll do like, I'll do a review of a big electronic show like this. 
I didn't think there was a whole lot coming out of it. Like I, I was summarily unimpressed. I, I mean, last year there were, I think there were quite a few big announcements, but this year it just seemed, I don't know. It seems small time. There's a lot of little updates like Dell improved their XPS 13 a little bit, which is probably one of the best computers, if not the best computer on the market right now. Um, I mean, there, there are, well, you know, cons- conventional consumer market. We're not talking about, you know, Lieberboot, uh, you know, Lieberboot T400s or anything here, but yeah, I, I, I didn't see a whole lot coming out of it. Now, one of the things that, that did make some news was that Fitbit seemed to expand their line a bit. Uh, no pun intended. But they came out with smartwatches, which are running their own operating system. They're not, obviously, they're not Apple. You know, they're not, um, you know, they're not watchOS with Apple. Uh, they're not Android Wear at all, which maybe. I'm not saying that this is a dumb move on Fitbit's part either. I mean, the watch is a natural progression for them. There's nothing crazy about that, okay? Even though I have problems with fitness trackers, whatever, I've talked about those before. Wait till they get used against you in court, and then you'll have those problems too. But um, the so so with the, the with Fitbit, yeah, they came out with new watches, and I get it. Like Android Wear development for Android Wear and support for Android Wear seems pretty touch and go. Even after the big announcement and the big reveals, big releases that happened um, earlier this year in 2017 uh, from Google itself. So, yeah, like I don't blame them for one. I don't think it's stupid. Some people were saying that they're stupid for not making it Android Wear. Not at all. I think that was actually a very smart move on their part to not rely on any third party to to develop, you know, their their shit and their ecosystem that they have. Um so that's fine. But the thing that, the, and I didn't, I guess this is the second model of this. I didn't know there was a first model, but Fitbit came out with what they call the area Two a R I a. And it's, it's a, it's a scale. It's a weight scale. Now, not a crazy thing for a Fitbit branded weight scale. What I do think is crazy. And yes, this is a second generation. I understand. Is it has fucking Bluetooth? It's a goddamn scale. What the fuck does it need Bluetooth or internet connectivity or anything for? It's a scale. Maybe this is why I was depressed about you. Just a bunch of bullshit. Anyway, I'll be back with more. Woo, you want to know about something that ain't bullshit? Let me tell you. Uh, in fact, boy, their latest episode just came out. I haven't gotten to it yet, but I can't wait to. Woo, <laughs> because it is the Resist the Empire podcast. In fact, yesterday, September 1st, was Force Friday 2. Man, what a good time. Uh, I mean, all kinds of stuff. In fact, stuff that I, that I pre-ordered, uh, got my hands on. Uh, the Princess Leia uh, novel that by, by Claudia Gray, one of the best. Uh, and then there was uh, by Del- uh, Delilah Dawson. There was the, the origin story of the character of Captain Phasma from The Force Awakens. Both of those books came out. I bet in pretty short order, you're going to hear reviews for those from the guys that resist the empire podcast. And you're going to get that great perspective that you enjoy from sovereign tech as well, where it's that Liberty minded perspective. Cause these guys, they deliver that deal every single time. I love the resist the empire podcast. If you love star Wars and you love Liberty, this is the absolute show for you. You want to be on board with it. Resist the empire podcast.com. That's the website. You want to hit that. You want to be listening to this. Add it into your podcast app right now. Go search for it in your podcast app right now. It'll come up. Okay. It is just an awesome, awesome show. And you're probably going to hear a lot of reviews, a lot of talk about what was going on with Force Friday 2 uh, and, and all the rest of it. There's tons of big announcements always happening with Star Wars. It's such an exciting, uh, you know, fan fictional universe to uh, to follow uh, and really resist the Empire podcast does just a great job um, of that. So please, if you love Star Wars and Liberty, go listen to it. Resist the Empire podcast.com and I thank them for sponsoring Sovereign Tech. Let's get back to the show. We should be arriving at the dark side of the moon in a few hours, Agent Sovereign. 
excellent pixel. Keep the hyper rocket in stealth mode. The way to always win is to never let them see you coming. Those space Nazis won't detect them. It's so exciting, Agent Sovereign. We are really building the future. The next step in human evolution is us. Don't get too excited, Dr. Goldblossom. We still have this mission to the moon, and we might run into trouble no one knows is there. Perhaps there's something else I can get excited about, Agent Sovereign? Well, we do have a few hours. Mm-hmm. Pixel, why don't you materialize and join the good doctor and I for a few hours of, uh, fun? It is time for Story of the Week, and you know, I'm going to kind of call an audible, and I might push what my main story was of the week uh, maybe a little bit later on into the episode. A couple of things I want to say. All right, first off, like, well, there's a couple of different subjects I want to talk about that I think are actually pretty interesting. First off, let me tell you, you haven't made it in life, or you haven't made it, not in life, I shouldn't say that. <laughs> you haven't made it in media. How about that one? Okay. You haven't made it until somebody has has created a change.org petition against you. <laughs> and <laughs> this week someone someone was not pleased <laughs> with the fact that I have refused and have not yet reviewed the emoji movie. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I tell you, you know, I got, you know, another thing quick too. I love the, the, the freedom I have working within the BDSM studio here. Uh, in fact, I was just showing off, uh, a, you know, wonderful uh, woman. I was just showing her, uh, this, uh, the, the studio. She thought it was amazing. She, she thought it was so cool. She's like, Oh, it's your little cave. And I'm like, Oh yes, it is. And cause I get to have fun in here. So anyway, <laughs> but this person, <laughs> meaning that I can, well, anyway, I could free things up, but, um, yeah, so this let me let me read the change.org. Look, I didn't make this. I know who did. All right, but anyway, it's of course you know who did because when you go to it, the link will be in the show notes and you can read it for yourself, but I want to read it here. Getting Brian Sovereign to review the change this is from change.org. This is petitioning Brian Sovereign. That's what it says. Getting Brian Sovereign to review the hit new movie, The Emoji Movie. And this is done by none other than Jim Jesus. Can you believe that? The guy from the Lulberts. Have you ever listened to that 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 trash podcast? No, I'm kidding. I actually enjoy that podcast. <laughs> but he he did this. Uh let's all right, let, let's read it here. For a whole month, okay, this petition was just made a couple days ago. For a whole month, the greatest film ever produced has lacked a review on both Brian Sovereign's hit tech podcast, Sovereign Tech, and his Patreon only double secret podcast. Brian, who regularly reviews films with a positive feminist message, thank you, yes I do, (laughs) Uh, Star Trek tie-ins, or just fantastic feats of cinema, refuses to see or review this amazing film. This can be tolerated no more. No longer can we allow big Unicode and big ASCII art to suppress this film (laughs) through their admitted payoffs of reviewers like Brian Sovereign. 
The Emoji Movie is not just a quick cash grab by Sony with blatant ads for apps like Just Dance and Candy Crush. It's a story with a powerful message. The explicit demand to end uh, demand to end to the I'm reading seek there uh, quote damsel in distress end quote trope and a strong individualist and egoist. Ooh, he's quoting Sterner there. Uh, and egoist message to embrace yourself and who you are and not change for a higher cause. Brian professes to support these ideas, but refuses to review the one film boldly taking this stand with this funny movie, with every emoji related pun possible and countless poop jokes, poop jokes made by Patrick Stewart. How can you turn that down? We, the undersigned, demand him to return the dirty money and review this <laughs> fantastic film. <laughs> and someone responded said it is injustice that brian sovereign hasn't reviewed this modern day classic it is essentially the movie adaptation of the unique and its property <laughs> of course that being the great uh max sterner uh work and let's see how many people have signed this petition in fact you know i know i know the lovely night for intelligent dr stephanie murphy i think she signed the petition can you believe that so many people suddenly started saying well anyway there's a few supporters on here but they're saying it's like you know i've never signed a change.org petition and i told myself i never will but i'll sign this one I mean, wow, you people really want me to review this movie. <laughs> now, I know Jim Jesus is being kind of facetious. Yeah, maybe he just wants to torture me a little bit by getting me, by goading me into watching this film. I'm not going to do it. This is the closest. That is that is the only review, what Jim said. And, of course, you know, he's joking around. But that is the only way that, I mean, this will be the movie that cannot be named. We won't even say the you know the name of that movie ever again on this show all right it's like the the, the old joke the, the great joke about the person that can that she who will not be named uh, of course i'll name her but uh but yeah but the, he who will not be named or the movie that will not be named that's it so if we ever bring that up you know what we're talking about we're talking about what this change.org petition is about <laughs> but of course my response was look man big ascii they actually pay you know, they actually, I took the money and if, if you know, you'll, you'd eventually take it too. eventually they'll wear you down and you'll never talk about this movie that cannot be named. Woo. <laughs> anyway, I just, I thought, I thought that was hilarious. That was so good. Uh, but yeah, really, I'm never going to watch this movie. I mean, look, I love Patrick Stewart. I mean, I have, you have no idea. Like, I mean, I love him in that way too like really uh i but i i there's no way i'm watching this movie <laughs> you know another movie like this that i've that i've never seen what was it called was it called pixels not pixel of course we love pixel on this show uh but but i think it was pixels was it the one with adam sandler and like there's every reason that i should want to see this movie space invaders i mean pac-man's in it you know space, the game space invaders like you know it's all these 80s things kind of come to life uh, uh you know arcade games and whatever for every reason I should love that movie, but I just know I'm like, no, this is fucking ridiculous. <laughs> what, what the hell? So anyway, <laughs> maybe, maybe the Tetris movie, you know, in fact, that's going to be a whole trilogy. Maybe I'll watch the Tetris trilogy. Maybe you'll actually get me to do that. I, I don't know, but yeah, sorry. You don't have it. You, you need a hundred petitioners to get me to do, or to, to even like try to get me to do this. And, and that's not happening. So there you have it. Uh, all right, let's get into something else that, uh, you know, honestly, it's not any less funny, but actually, uh, <clears throat> I should, uh, ooh, I should put on my very serious voice here because, uh, this is very exciting news that I am about to report. Uh, finally, one of the largest companies, one of the largest multinationals 
in the world is fully integrating their own blockchain. Uh, I'm, I'm, I am not kidding. Okay. Uh, this is, I mean, this is very exciting for blockchains overall. I think this is going to do a lot to legitimize blockchain technology even further than it already is. Uh, and of course I hate to use the word legitimize, but you know what I mean? This is going to put it right over the top. I mean, I could, I could see an overall market cap value increase of some odd 20 to 30% just from this news. In fact, maybe it happened and uh, I'll read here. It's actually from the BBC. This was sent in uh, by a listener, actually, at the, on the Sovereign Tech uh, Uncensored Facebook group. Burger King launches Whopper Coin Crypto Cash in Russia. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> Sorry. I tried to play it straight. I tried. I couldn't. It's just <laughs> but this is totally true. I'm reading for the BBC. Okay, it's from August 29th, 2017. This is fresh. This is this is fresher than a Whopper. This story. All right. <laughs> I mean, you're going to get to have it your way now, baby, with blockchains. Woo. <laughs> what else can we put on a blockchain already? For fuck's sake. Could I, I, oh, I don't know. All right. So let's read a little bit here. <laughs> Fast food chain Burger King has launched its own cryptocurrency called Whopper Coin in Russia, of all things. Who knew uh, Russia was into Whoppers? Well, uh, customers will be able to claim one coin for every ruble uh, they spend on the Whopper sandwich. Uh, Ru- Russians will be able to buy a Whopper with the virtual cash once they have amassed 1,700 Whopper coins. So that's kind of like the, you know, the, the multi-million dollar pizza, I guess, maybe at some point. <laughs> but not exactly. Let's keep reading. The company said it would release Apple and Android apps next month so people could save, share, and trade their wallet full of Whopper coins. Why, Burger King, I don't mean to put a damper. I don't mean to pour water on your fever dreams. But Apple is not very amenable to, to, to cryptocurrencies. I mean, and something as serious, you know, as something that, that pushes so hard the future of anonymity and uh, encryption and cryptography, blah, 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 uh, as WhopperCoin is obviously going to do. I mean, they might say, oh, no, no, you're not allowed in our app store, motherfucker. Sorry. So just fair warning, you know, WhopperCoin, this is serious. I mean, I... You know, I haven't looked into the technicals or they haven't released a white paper yet. Um, well, actually, I all right. So they did release a white paper. The thing is, it was on the wrapper for a Whopper and someone threw out the wrapper. So we don't have fuck. We don't have the fucking <laughs> we, we don't have the white paper because I want to know, like, oh, are you using zero knowledge proofs? Is this based on ZK Snarks, perhaps like Zencash or Zcash or something? Uh, ooh. <laughs> So anyway, here's here's oh this this is a this is titled use and abuse. Burger King is partnered with crypto cash startup Waves, Stanley breaking in a company I've never heard of, to create and run the scheme. Yeah, <laughs> scheme. That's a good word. Uh, the tech company will run the blockchain ledger for the coin to keep track of who has coins and what has been done with them. Customers will be able to claim their coins by scanning a receipt with a smartphone. The cryptocurrency is a standalone system that has some technical similarities to Bitcoin, but is distinct from it. This means here's an actually an important line, and I, I'm, I'm being actually dead serious here. This means the company would be able to shut the system down if it found it was being abused. OK, so let's stop there for a second. All right. In all seriousness, you know, really joking aside. This is how, you know, when you hear about companies saying, oh, yeah, now we're they're working with consensus or they're working with uh, or not consensus, um, whatever. They're working with Ethereum. They're working with uh, 
you know, whatever technology they happen to be working with, or even like, you know, JP Morgan working with Zcash or something. Understand these companies are implementing their own blockchains. They are not accessing the grander blockchain, like say the Ethereum blockchain that you, the average person uses or the average, I shouldn't call you an average person because you're not, but the average blockchain technology user. How about that? Okay. Um, they are, they are completely creating their own implementations with this kind of idea where there are cutoff switches like Burger King has now. I mean, what kind of abuse? I mean, yeah, really, this is probably to put a stop to some kind of crazy speculation or who the fuck knows what, you know, <laughs> maybe if they suddenly there's a rash of double spends and people are getting double whoppers. Woo! It could happen. <laughs> but really, uh, th- this is where this is one of the reasons this highlights, actually, one of the reasons that. I sort of stopped getting excited about about a lot of blockchain technologies because one of the most exciting things about blockchain technology like Bitcoin and others, not that Bitcoin necessarily would fall prey to this, okay, is the fact that, you know, it's community based, but it's community based in the fact that you can't really shut it down. Like, I mean, you know, no matter how many nodes you take out, there'll always be another node that can just crop up because the community, you know, is really solid on it and everything. Um, you know, it's the unstoppable technology. That is, or I mean, obviously not literally, but for all intents and purposes, it's an, you know, blockchains are an unstoppable technology. Okay. The problem is, is that when companies, and this is the thing, everybody wants, you know, companies and and whatever, you know, jumping on board with it. And I get that. And I'm not saying that there's, there's necessarily anything wrong with that per se, but let's be clear that the one aspect that on a community level that people get excited about with a blockchain is the fact that it was unstoppable. Well, when they're working with companies, they're stoppable. Okay, this, like they very clearly said, this can be shut down as soon as Burger King desires it to be shut down. You know, you're not going to be able to download the Whopper coin client and you could run it independently and then specific franchises perhaps, uh, you know, could could start opening it up on their own in other countries and all. I mean, look, that, that's just, that's not going to happen. But the promise that we were sold on years ago with Bitcoin and with blockchain technologies in general, and sometimes we're still sold on this, is that, oh no, yeah, you you know, you, you could actually do that. Like a franchisee for Burger King could create their own little implementation and run their own shit and whatever. Uh, no, (laughs) I mean, yeah, well, a franchisee would run into problems anyway, because, you know, there's very specific rules that franchisees have to follow, you know, to match with what say like Burger King corporate does, of course. So, but anyway, yeah, this is, I mean, sure. To some people, I imagine this is very exciting that, the concept of, of cryptocurrencies is getting a really, really broad example through Burger King. Yes, it's in Russia, but still, um, yeah, that's kind of cool. But let's be clear here that that this is not the this is not part of that whole promise of a new tomorrow with this shit. Okay, this is just going to let you get some free hamburgers, which hey, in my opinion, that offers a whole lot more than most ICOs do. Woo. We'll be back with more Sovereign Tech. Hey, baby, now talk about something that has lasting value. I don't know exactly how you're going to get a Whopper with this sort of thing, but I'm sure you could sit down and have a Whopper with the guy that runs this business, that being Tim Fry. And of course, we're talking about Roberts and Roberts Brokerage. Tim is just a sweetheart of a man, one of the best people you could ever do business with. And if you want to get gold, silver, platinum, palladium, and maybe give him a hamburger. I don't know if he's low carb or anything, but regardless... 
do it through Robertson Roberts Brokerage, okay? I mean, you'd have to mail it to him, right? He'd have to mail him the burger. But anyway, uh, if you, this is a place you just you're going to get the best prices. You're going to get incredible service. If you want gold, silver, platinum, palladium, any of that, perhaps you want to use a real cryptocurrency like Bitcoin, uh, and you know, get your get your hands on all of those precious metals through that. You can do that through Robertson Roberts Brokerage. I want you to go to rrbi.co. That's the website, rrbi.co. Let them know the Golden Stallion sent you. You'll get your hookup. Uh, believe me, you will be absolutely pleased with the service you get. This is one of the best businesses in the world, and I cannot thank them enough for being such a longtime sponsor of Sovereign Tech. Roberts and Roberts Brokerage, get some of that offline cold storage. Precious metals, do it. RRBI.co, that's the website. Woo. Now let's get back to some Sovereign Tech, baby. Ugh. Ugh. Great Satan. Ugh. What's hitting us, Pixel? Nazi V-7 missiles from the moon's surface. There are too many missiles! The laser defense grid I designed. It can't shoot them down fast enough, Agent Sovereign. Main thrusters are destroyed, Agent Sovereign. Nazi ships are docking. They're boarding the hyper-rocket. Ah. Agent Sovereign and Dr. Goldblossom, I presume. Takes them both. No! Let go of me! Uh, I don't know if a quick hack can solve this one. Hack sick. It is time for HackSec, where whoo, we talk issues of hacking and security, and we've got a doozy this week. Um, in fact, it's a follow-up to a story from, I guess, would this, would this have been the beginning of April 2017, where I did an entire two-hour, maybe plus, episode all about uh, WikiLeaks Vault 7 uh, release of information that was you know, one of the largest document and data dumps about uh, the CIA, NSA, you know, various alphabet soup organizations in the U.S. government in general uh, in history. All, you know, all classified stuff just dumped out to everybody. Now, I talked about it there saying that I, you know, I, I was I was a little skeptical of some of the information being released to the point of or to the tune of that. WikiLeaks itself, much like I've claimed about anonymous as well, is pretty much a meaningless organization now. Uh, and that Julian Assange is somebody of incredibly questionable character. Uh, among other things. So I, I get a little conspiratorial around around all of this uh, because these kinds of groups are so easy to be used for into or, you know, to be claimed and claimed behind, um, you know, a lot of what, what could be releases actually that are very controlled leaks uh, of information that maybe the CIA or the NSA actually wanted to be out there. Um, I mean, I, I make my case in that episode. Uh, as to, as to what's going on uh, again, a lot of what happened in vault seven, a lot of these claims of what is actually a data dump. I mean, there's the potential that, that it's all bullshit. You know, I mean, you could be really, really skeptical about these claims. I am skeptical of everything that WikiLeaks says these days. I sure as hell don't, I don't believe a single fucking story that anonymous puts out there, you know, or like action that they claim to have taken that is something for the people. Bullshit. I, I think I absolutely believe that, Anonymous is now just a boogeyman. You know, it's it, it's just a it's a tool used by companies 
organizations, uh, whatever else to, you know, do some kind of dastardly deed when it's not really anything remotely like anonymous. Uh, you know, it's actually just that organization or company. Um, WikiLeaks, I, to some degree, feel the same way that they could be used in a similar fashion. I just, I just, I don't, I don't, I just don't believe it. I don't, especially like it was so with vault seven in particular, it was so irresponsible of them to claim that signal and well, all the, all the apps that they listed off, they mentioned WhatsApp, telegram, and some others, the claims that they made that all of those were broken was incredibly irresponsible harmful i mean it really it was very harmful to to people that rely upon those technologies because they thought that they were hearing uh what they thought was a trusted organization like wikileaks saying holy shit what i've been using for four years you know or however long suddenly is it's been cracked forever according to their document releases or something and i could imagine you know quite a few people having some heart attacks over this because you just may have realized, oh, shit, you know, if, you, if you're an activist in some pretty hot parts of the planet, OK, you suddenly you may be thinking, wait, no, the U.S. government or whoever else or any other government or, or you know, uh, actor with the power of a nation state, uh, or, you know, comparable power, perhaps to a nation state, which there are independent companies that have that, I believe, um, or independent organizations, I should say. That. Um, you know, that, that that they would have access to everything you've been doing and saying. Very scary. And the thing is, is that WikiLeaks was wrong. They they were dead fucking wrong the way that they reported it. Okay, now, what the, the problems that they said existed within Android, which that's how, that's what was cracked. That's what had the bug. That's what had the exploit. Okay, was the Android operating system. Not Signal, not WhatsApp. WhatsApp has its own problems. Telegram, Telegram has its own problems. If they were reporting on the actual problems with the implementations of WhatsApp and Telegram, I would feel very differently. But no, instead they reported it like these systems were broken. The signal encryption, the signal protocol is not broken. Okay, not not that we know of, and certainly not based upon anything that WikiLeaks has reported on or put out there. And that's where they lied. They just straight up lied. And and kudos to a lot of security researchers who didn't get as much uh, headline press, unfortunately. But you know, thankfully, a lot of security researchers, myself included, came out and said, uh, "No, motherfuckers, you, you know, you're full of shit. You're you're lying straight up about about you know whether or not these these apps are actually broken." I mean, I get it that okay. So since the operating system's broken, the apps within it are potentially, uh, you know, are potentially broken or could potentially be exploited as well. I understand that argument. That's not what WikiLeaks said. That was not their argument. You understand? They lied to people. Okay, so I'm very skeptical of anything that WikiLeaks said, but I'm sure there's some truth within it. I mean, some of these documents had been verified that, yeah, these are absolutely legitimate. So there's some truth in there, uh, whatever. And one of the conclusions that I came to that actually got bolstered this week with another release by WikiLeaks Okay, uh, and this one also people have been looking at it and some of it seems at least some of it has been uh, verified, you know, to to be legitimate and actually coming from the CIA. Um, This it's called Express Lane. And I actually have the story here from RT uh, and it says CIA's secret spy tool helps agencies steal data from NSA 
and FBI WikiLeaks reveals and stories from August 24th. I'm just going to read a little bit here and then we'll talk about it. Details of an alleged CIA project that allows the agency to secretly extract biometric data from liaison services such as the NSA, the DHS and the FBI have been published by WikiLeaks. Documents from the CIA's Express Lane project were released by the whistleblowing organization as part of its ongoing Vault 7 series on the intelligence agency's alleged hacking capabilities. Now, again, Vault 7, we knew and we talked about at the time that this is stuff that was going to be released slowly over time. Why that is, why not just dump it all and let people go nuts through it uh, is this is also a problem I have with the Snowden leaks. In fact, there should still be tens of thousands of documents, I think, that we haven't gotten from this from the Snowden uh, release or Snowden revelations yet. Uh, this is where this is where I get conspiratorial and start thinking, OK, this is controlled. You know, it's certainly being controlled by, you know, at least um, by WikiLeaks itself because they're not dumping it all at once. But maybe the reason they're not dumping it all at once is because there is someone else's timetable that they're running on. OK, I mean, I, and I get some of the arguments that, well, you know, if you release it all at once, um, you know, if, if you do that, then the CIA can just respond to it all at once and get past it is where if you do it over time, the CIA has to keep, you know, doing the two step and, and trying to, you know, prove that they weren't evil or something like that. The same was true with, you know, the Snowden revelations. Um, that's a fair argument, but that only holds so much water, in my opinion. So anyway, reading on a little bit. Um, Let's see. A branch within the CIA known as the Office of Technical Services, OTS, provides a biometric collection system to liaison services around the world, quote, with the expectation for sharing of the biometric takes collected on the systems, end quote, according to a file released by WikiLeaks. Stallion breaking in for a second. How about that biometric security now, huh? If this is accurate, if this is real. Yeah. Okay. Uh, (laughs) Please just use your fingerprint now. You know, don't worry. No one's ever going to see it except for the CIA Uh, reading on express lane. However, suggests the system has inadequacies as it was developed as a covert information collection tool to secretly exfiltrate data collections from such systems provided to liaison services. And look, I mean, again, we're talking about liaison services here. This isn't even, you know, this isn't even referencing biometrics like you would use on your smartphone or something. This is all stuff that's between these companies that the CIA developed the security software and the NSA and the FBI and DHS, they would use it as well. Come to find out, you know, as as we we'll, as we could read on with this, there's there's a little bit more here, but I can just tell you about it. OK. Um, come to find out that that same biometric, uh, uh, you know, security systems that they, and security software that they had developed was you know was collecting data from you know it was being like a like a trojan more or less you know it was collecting data from the nsa fbi dhs whoever that the cia was then themselves making use of uh, against those organizations now this is the point that i made in the original episode where we talked about vault seven back in april okay and that point was is that you need to understand and in fact i, I think i might have brought this up Oh, I, I think I talked about it on a Patreon episode. I was thinking maybe I brought it up last week, but I don't think I did. I think it was on Patreon. You need to understand, okay, there is this one, like, umbrella called the U.S. government. There's this one umbrella group called the U.S. government. Within the U.S. government, though, there are a multitude. I don't know how many exactly, but there are just a multitude, a bunch of different governments, Like, yeah, it all gets called the U.S. government, but really there's a lot of different diversified interests. And I'm not talking about that there's Republicans and Democrats. I'm not saying that. I'm saying much, much deeper, much, much, much more granular, uh, where there are just a ton of groups. 
Okay, there is, you know, the, the CIA is one group that has its own agenda. The FBI is one group that has its own agenda. The NSA is one group that has its own agenda. And maybe they all work for differing masters and differing aspects of what, you know, becomes the entire U.S. government. But they have completely different goals. Okay, this is kind of like the concept of like the state and the deep state. Right. That that was the main thing that I felt that if any there's any reality out of the Vault 7 leaks, that that was the interesting part was that these groups don't work together. They are not, a, you know, the U.S. government is in no way a unified whole. This idea that gets spread a lot by uh, various conspiracy theorists and other that there's some like kind of singular new world order is absolute bullshit. There may be multiple groups that are vying for elitism and some kind of global control, but that's the thing. There isn't just one acting in concert. These, these, you know, even within the U S government, these organizations, and it's not just some people wrote this off as well. It's like U S army versus U S U S you know, versus the Marines. And I get that. Okay. Like I I've, I've been a part of that where you, you know, cause I was in, you know, I was in the U S army and I was in uh, you know, I was an airborne and everything. And, and we would crack jokes about how, Oh, you know, the Marines, we always gotta, we gotta clean up their mess and you know, all this other, you know, just stuff like that. And that is within the conventional understand, please. I'm using conventional terms. I do not speak kindly of the U S military in any way, shape or fashion ever. Okay. But in conventional, terms that was you know just like being jocular it was very friendly um uh, you know kind of banter and friendly competition maybe would be the best term for all of that um at the end of the day the army and the marines have you know absolute respect for each other within the disgusting systems that they exist okay but you know so some people want to write it off like that that it's just well it's marines versus army no 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 no, 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 no. Okay. Because that Marines versus army attitude. And I can say this personally, never had anything to do with state secrets with, you know, uh, information or tasks that were incredibly high level that required, you know, the, the utmost encryption and whatever else that's bullshit. If you're making that claim that that's, this is no, this is absolute proof that we are dealing with a fractured system. Has it always been fractured? I don't know that I can necessarily answer that. Okay. But this is a fractured system that we're dealing with. It is not just one body, one unified U.S. government. The fortunate side of all this is that because they are actually playing against each other and working against each other at the end of the day, that's something that allows for what I've talked about many times on Sovereign Tech over the years is what allows for the individual that has the temerity, the technical capability, and, uh, you know, the moxie, okay, to slip through the cracks and disappear from the system because the system's fighting itself. That's only a win for us. You know, people like us, I mean, look, I'm an anarchist. Okay. It's only a win for people that actually care about privacy, anonymity, and all these other things, because if they're constantly having to battle each other, they're not battling you. And I think this is going on heavy right now, especially in our present political climate. That is just so topsy turvy. Uh, I mean, there's a whole lot more to, you know, really to, to, to say on that, but Express Lane, I think, proves that point that I made. And I know I got the emails. People thought I was kind of nuts for saying it. Well, who's crazy now? Now it appears we have we have we have if you accept what WikiLeaks released with Express Lane as evidence. Guess what? Yes, these these organizations, these alphabet soup organizations are they are enemies to each other and they are working against each other. There is not this one singular, you know, new world order nonsense. Throw, there's plenty of conspiracies out there that I think they're absolutely real. But throw those conspiracy theories right out the fucking door. We'll be right back with some more Sovereign Tech. Hey, boy, you want to... 
we're just talking about getting some liberty, learning how to fall through the cracks and everything and, you know, enjoy your life, get that personal freedom. Let me tell you a great way to go about doing that. I want you to check out a conference. It's in Aspen, Colorado. Ooh, I love Aspen. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I really do. Whether there's skiing going on or not, I love that area. Um, the Nexus Conference running September 21st to the, th- to the 23rd, 2017. This is going to be phenomenal. You're going to have some of the best speakers in the world there, especially when it comes to matters of liberty, baby. Uh, Ron Paul is going to be there. Judge Andrew Napolitano is going to be there. Uh, you're going to have Tatiana Moreau's playing. You've got guys, I mean, you talk about the blockchain space, you're going to have some blockchain experts there. You're going to have Rob, who's the head of Zencash. He's going to be talking there. That's very exciting. Uh, I mean, it just it's going to be a wild time. I guarantee it. Go to, the link is in the show notes if you need it, but go to nexusearth.com slash conference.html. Okay, that's the website, you, that's the URL you want to go to, nexusearth.com slash conference.html. And uh, man, Get your tickets for this. It's going to be a hell of a time. Let's get back to the show. Where... Where am I? And where are my clothes? Ah, you are awake. You are in one of our oldest moon bases, Dr. Goldblossom. This one was built in 1951 and has been used by the Third Reich ever since for various... experiments. Much like you. What do you mean, like me? Oh, we've already studied you and Agent Sovereign very thoroughly, Doctor. You're an experiment yourself. You're not exactly human anymore, are you? No, you're something much more now. And your Brian Sovereign is not at all who he appears to be. We know you found some kind of ancient technology on Earth. We've been looking for it too, and you're going to tell us where it is. I'm not telling you anything, you fascist bastard. I won't play your game. Yes, you will, Dr. Goldblossom. And you will lose. Game talk. It is time for Game Talk, where, well, we got a shutting down to talk about. (laughs) Uh, I wanted, actually, this week to be my review of Sonic Mania, Um, I haven't gotten into it enough to where I feel comfortable doing a review, but I will say, holy shit, what I have played of Sonic Mania, Sonic Mania, which just came out for PC on August, um, I guess it would have been the 29th. I had it pre-ordered, uh, like what I have checked out is brilliant. (laughs) It is, it is so good. Even though I'm one of those guys, like I still like the games, uh, and I'll probably talk about this more when I do the actual review of it. I still liked I, I liked Sonic Adventure. I like Sonic Adventure 2 Battle, particularly because I played it on GameCube. Um, I, I mean, I love the Dreamcast in its day, no doubt about it. But, uh, you know, I also I, I enjoyed Shadow the Hedgehog. Like, I liked the 3D Sonic games. But admittedly, I, you know, everybody and myself included, you know, prefer the 2D Sonic. Uh, but I thought Sonic Generations was good. Not everybody was on board with that. I thought Sonic Episode 4 or, epi- yeah, Sonic 4, I thought was because it had two episodes. So Sonic 4 Episode 1, Sonic 4 Episode 2. I thought I thought Sonic the Hedgehog 4 was great. That didn't get good reviews from other people. I have no concept as to why. Uh, but so, you know, I'm not the best person necessarily to be saying, oh, this is the return of Sonic. Uh, you know, to to former glories, but everybody else that maybe are the better people to say that sort of thing, because I never thought he lost glory, uh, have said that this is a return to glory. So if you want to check it out, check it out. But I'll be doing a full review on it uh, potentially next week, if not the week after. So. All right. What I do want to talk about is it came. Uh, the announcement came 
from uh, Gamescom that, that was just over the last weekend, I believe. A lot of big announcements from Nintendo, most of them having to do with the Switch, except for, of course, uh, Samus Returns, uh, which is the the remake of uh, Metroid 2 that is coming to the uh, to the, you know, to the 3DS, to the new 3DS. You, you have to put new in front of it. Uh, other than that, you know, it was mainly about, uh, you know, a bunch of different things coming to the Switch. Not to say it wasn't exciting. It certainly was. But anyway, uh, one thing they did announce was that in November of this year, of 2017, they are going to be shutting down their Miiverse. Now, maybe you've never even, you have no idea what the Miiverse is. And you might, you probably know what a Mii is because the Mii's, which is M-I-I, started they were created for the nintendo wii not the wii u but the original nintendo wii which remember is literally the best-selling best-selling video game system of all time people forget that everybody had had one of these or still does uh you know grandma everybody was jumping on board with the nintendo wii it is again it was the best-selling system of all time um, the Wii U was not so, but one of the features that the Wii U was going to take advantage of was extrapolating upon expanding what these Nintendo, what these Mii's, the MIIs, which is supposed to be a digital representation of you or whatever you end up creating. I mean, some people would make their Mii's look like an animal of some kind. Some of them would make them look like Michael Jackson or something. Happy birthday, by the way. Uh, some of them would be, you know, all, all kinds of different things that people would make their Mii's look like. And so they wanted to build on top of that. And since the Wii U was going to be a far more Internet integrated console than Nintendo had ever done before, understand the Nintendo Wii certainly had its I mean, it had the Opera browser built into it. You could watch YouTube. Um, I think there was a Netflix app for it, if I remember right. Uh, I loved my Nintendo Wii. I mean, I fucking love that thing, especially because. You know, I had gotten rid of my GameCube years previous and it could play all the GameCube games. And I was like, oh, well, this is the greatest system ever made. But anyway, uh, so, yeah, so not like Nintendo hadn't gotten hadn't gone down that realm before. Also, they did it with the GameCube, which you could buy an expansion uh, modem for and like play Final uh, or was it fa sorry, Fantasy Star Online Episode one and two. They had a great release of that from Dreamcast that ended up coming into GameCube. Um, so it's not their first effort into it, but they were trying to create because it was so such a, a more Internet centric system with the Wii U, which, again, financially was a failure, was it was an absolute failure. Um, they, they were trying to create a social network their own social network. So you didn't have to connect to Facebook or Twitter or whatever. And you would, and they called it Meverse, And it was based around these little me characters that so many people had already created and kind of gotten used to. And there was sort of a Meverse on the original. Wii. sort of, there was like where you could do little things. It wasn't like me Tomo, uh, which is something else I'll talk about in a second, but uh, they wanted to go all the way. And really from the get go with the Meverse. There are already, you know, I mean, like from day from launch day of of Meverse, there was already dick pics being shared. I mean, I don't think I think Nintendo was kind of hoping human nature. They would kind of see the better parts of human nature here. Didn't happen. <laughs> it just didn't. As soon as soon as you created another social network, I mean, you know, just sex and, you know, whatever unasked for pictures came into play. That, that's that's just how it went. Um but it's been around, you know, that long. And, and there were some attempts at integrating the Miiverse with uh, with the Nintendo 3DS as well. 
that the services on that there's so many services that originally that are developed by Nintendo that originally came out with the 3DS that have been gone for over a year now. Okay, so this is they've been stepping away slowly, really, from, uh, you know, from developing their own social networks and their own networks in general. Not surprising that a lot of this starting of shutting down comes with uh, the introduction of a few different uh, business models for them. One of them being, of course, the fact that they were finally making apps for mobile platforms like Mitomo, which is a social network that people still kind of use. I was getting I was sweating a little bit. I was getting a little worried about it because there hadn't been an app update like a, a big app update. There was the version 2.0 release that happened a few months ago, but literally it's been six, seven months. What the fuck? You know, it, it was, I mean, in, in, in the mobile space, when apps don't get updated that much, usually you consider that a death knell. I mean, there, there might've been little fixes here and there, but nothing, uh, you know, not a major update. And finally, just last week, there was a major update that sort of coincided with the announcement that in November they were going, that Nintendo was going to shut down the Miiverse. So Nintendo is obviously getting away from running their own servers, doing a lot of their own stuff. The Nintendo Switch, their new system, uh, like even trying to find the Miis on the Switch is a bit of a challenge. Now, I know they just had, was a Miitopia. They just had a new game come out that was centered around the around the Miis. Uh, and probably one of the best games that was centered around, you know, using your own me in a game was uh, a Pilot Wings Resort for the 3DS. I mean, you know, I don't personally, I don't see any of this really as a loss. Um, I think what's actually going on is Nintendo is, you know, well, I'll tell you, if they were smart, they could build an entire social network around Zelda Breath of the Wild and people would would engage and and they they would use it. Um, I think that's what that's what's really happening is they they they've got to be thinking of VR play. We know they're thinking of VR play, something to do with the switch. And that's probably where they're going to integrate some kind of a social network is more in virtual reality. And they just see that as being the future and developing further with the Mies. I mean, the Mies are just so 2006, <laughs> right? I mean, that's that's because there's been so few, uh, you know, real improvements. I mean, they look a little bit better on the switch, but this I, I kind of felt like this was coming anyway. Like one of my big disappointments when I, I recently acquired a 2DS XL was that there's no integration between like uh, Mitomo, which is the mobile app uh, that that has where you you make a me and you have a house and you get all these different clothes and there's these little drop games that you can play on and everything. Um, I use it actually to make the uh, cover art for every episode, pretty much of Sovereign Tech as well as Sex and Science Hour. Uh, but there's no there's no cross there, there's no cross integration there's no there, there's there's no that app doesn't talk at all with the 2ds which again you you know we're talking about the new 3ds and 2ds they they had the opportunity to make a better app because of the greater processing power and everything that the handheld system could you know could handle and then but that that doesn't exist like Mitomo sort of exists completely on its own but there's a chance even though it did just finally get an update that that update's sort of a last hurrah like there hasn't been any really unique um, releases on Mitomo as to where for a while there was some really like they were integrating their big franchises like Zelda and Kirby and Metroid and everything there hasn't been anything like that in a long long time so I think I think Nintendo's reorganizing and they're realizing that kind of more, you know, offering open world games more so than open world apps and extraneous services uh, 
is really where they can do some bread and butter, which is happening with you know Zelda Breath of the Wild uh, and, and other things. So, yeah, Miiverse, bye-bye. We didn't need another social network anyway. Hey, but what do we need? I'll tell you what we need. We need to keep an eye on those... <laughs> Cryptocurrency prices, Bitcoin prices, holy talk about to the moon. Woo. Uh, Litecoin prices, Litecoin hitting all time highs. What was it was like $85 or something. I told you Litecoin wasn't dead yet. Did you listen to me? Uh, what Zencash did a nice little rise this week. Zcash is doing great. Uh, I mean, there's so many things you want to keep an eye on this stuff. And how I want you to do it, you go to cryptocompare.com. This is just such a phenomenal resource for the entire cryptocurrency space. It really is. There's so much to learn. It's so great to keep an eye on so many things. You can look at the graphs and all that, make your plans. I love it. Cryptocompare.com. It's a tab. I always say this. It's a tab I keep open at all times to keep an eye on things. So I thank them for sponsoring Sovereign Tech. Let's get back to the show. Now we'll make you talk, Dr. Goldblossom. No one can resist the torture of sexual pleasure from the Orgasmatron. Guards, put her in the machine. In just moments, she'll be singing like the canary. What? No! Don't! Activate the Orgasmatron. No! of the week. Ooh, you know, I'm going to do a little switcheroo on you here. I actually, I had one album planned and I am changing my mind. So in fact, because that album that I wanted to talk about is going to be coming out in a couple months. So I don't, why, why I don't, I don't enjoy talking about an album that isn't available to you to get. That never makes any sense to me. I hate that. IO9 does that with books and it's fucking annoying. It's like, Oh, all, all the, all the books that you need to catch up with this month. And it's like, yeah, but none of them have come out yet. So, I'm going to forget, you know, to pick them up when they come out. It just it doesn't make any goddamn sense. So the album I was going to talk about is from one of my favorite bands, uh, later bands, that being 6AM, S-I-X-X-A-M. They're doing a re-release of their first album, The Heroin Diaries. Uh, I love that album. Uh, but anyway, what I want to talk about this week, you know, I'll tell you, I don't. So I, I still buy music on the regular. I don't often option for the physical release. The times that I do when I do get a physical release is because is usually because there is no digital release, which still happens with some limited albums. Okay. Uh, and this is one of those cases. Now a company that I regularly will get physical releases from and the company themselves do these very rare releases and they're usually very rare printings as well. They'll do something on the order of, you know, 2,500 to 3,000 or 5,000, uh, you know, pressings of each ones. And if they sell out well enough and fast enough, then they end up doing a second pressing of whatever the, you know, whatever the album happens to be. And so this week's album of the week, usually again, normally I'm doing some kind of metal album or something, but uh, I'm going to do something different here. I, this is a soundtrack. Okay. Now, not a soundtrack like in the nineties where they put a bunch of songs on it that never actually appeared in the movie, or at least the 90% of them were never in the movie. I mean, sometimes it turned out okay, right? Like all three volumes of the Hackers soundtrack are, that's just some of the greatest music ever, some of the greatest albums ever put together. Uh, This is a score, a score meaning that, you know, it's mostly symphonic, you know, instrumental and all of this. Uh, And this is for one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, In fact, it, it really, 
it could easily jump into that at any given moment. Just, you know, Gladiator is so fucking epic. Uh, but this movie is First Night. Now, the night is in reference to Knights of the Round Table. So it's K-I-K-N-I-G-H-T. Uh, First Night is a movie from, what was it, like 96? With uh, Julie Armand, Sean Connery, Richard Gere. Uh, and it's all about, like, it's a, it's a King Arthur kind of romance movie. It's a movie you probably wouldn't expect me to love, but I love this movie. It is, I mean, there's so many cool things in it to, to take away, to glean. There's so many great moments. I've watched this movie so many times. I even, I showed it to Stephanie probably about a year or two ago, maybe. And she loved the hell out of it too. So now, uh, a company that where I regularly, I, I think I, I didn't finish the sentence, where I regularly get um, these limited pressing albums is from La La Land Records. I, I don't think I finished that sentence, but La La Land Records dot com is actually where I get them again. They usually do a limited pressing and they brought back the limited pressing that they did of the of a two disc. It's an expanded score. Um, the two disc version of the soundtrack for first night. Now, when I was younger, I had the single disc version that Varese Sarabandi released. Uh, but this is definitely the way to go because Jerry Goldsmith, who the late great Jerry Goldsmith, anybody that knows anything about movie soundtracks. No, I mean, just instantly Jerry after John Williams, you know, of course, who scored star Wars and so many and Indiana Jones and Superman, so many other movies. After John Williams, I think most people instantaneously think Jerry Goldsmith, if, if you're into scoring of any kind. OK, uh, I mean, way before you think of Basil, Pol- uh, you know, Poldor or Poldori, Poldoris, whatever, uh, way before you think of even James Horner. James Horner is really only a name because of Titanic. Uh, you know, before you think of anybody else, I mean, Jerry Goldsmith just comes up. He's he is one. He was one of the all time greats. Always will be, you know. And First Night is in my opinion, probably his best score. I know a lot of people want to quote the omen or something, or I would totally understand if you thought that star Trek, the motion picture was his greatest score. You will not get any, any fucking argument for me, but I think first night, you know, took it to, I I think this is him on, on full display. It's very epic, but like the same themes that get used throughout it. uh, Again, understand you, you know, this is a medieval film, you know, this is King Arthur stuff. Okay. So it's, you know, it's supposed to be very triumphant and whatever, lots of lots of brass and everything. Um, the same kind of running theme. Somehow Jerry Goldsmith could tone it way down to where it's full romance and it's like being played, you know, on, on simple wind instruments, you know, or, or hell an oboe or something. Uh, it, it's really stunning. Uh, so the two disc version covers all of that and you get a lot more. What, what would happen a lot with with releases, especially in the 90s, because. Movie soundtracks have always been sort of a niche thing, like movie scores, I should say, have always been kind of a niche release anyway, even when they weren't limited runs like La 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 Land Records would do. Um, Oftentimes they would create what they called suites, S-U-I-T-E, and these suites would have where, you know, you'd get like a, a compilation of the theme of the main theme of, say, of a movie. As to where with with La La Land's records releases, they give you, you know, to, even though the reason they did the suites is because it would be considered repetitive to have the theme keep constantly playing throughout the score. They go ahead and just release like every minute of music, you know, within the movie as is. And I love that because especially when it's a great theme like First Night has actually has two or three themes to it. Uh, 
you know, I, I want to hear them over and over and over again. And, and I, I have listened to this, you know, of course, obviously I made a digital copy and I, uh, you know, uploaded it to my, my music uh, software. And I mean, I, I've listened to this countless times since I got my hands on it. It is such a stunning uh, release. And what a great movie. If you've never seen the movie First Night, uh, check it out. But this is some great classic epic music that only Jerry Goldsmith uh, can really provide. So, yeah, my album of the week, First Night, the two-disc soundtrack. Romance, action, everything. Hey, if you want to get your hands on everything, whew, how about everything Sovereign Tech, baby? I got a couple of places I want you to check out. First off, go to store.sovereigntech.com. It's store.sovereigntech.com. Get yourself some of these smoking hot Sovereign Tech t-shirts. Get a hoodie. Get a tank top. Get a, you know, get a mug. Get a sticker. Whatever. Store.sovereigntech.com. The, uh, it says right on the back, baby. I mean, you're going to be telling everybody. It says, be the future. And SovereignTech.com on the front, it has the, the classic, the, one of the retro Sovereign Tech logos on it. Everybody just loves it. They love the colors. So get your hands on that. Then, if you want to really cover the, all the bases, you can get my book, Dark Android 2017 Edition, telling you about how to secure your mobile device. Okay, just go to darkandroid.info for that. Again, that's darkandroid.info. Woo, let's get back to the show. Don't understand. No one should be able to withstand that much pleasure from the Orgasmatron. The Orgasmatron is starting to fail and shut down, Commandant. Dr. Goldblossom is gone! What? Where is she? Right here, Nazi scum. Impossible! You can't escape! I just did. Where is Agent Sovereign? He's... Where is he? Dr. Goldblossom? Agent Sovereign, I was just coming to rescue you. What? But I was just coming to rescue you! Women can rescue themselves, Brian. Clearly. Tune of the week. Ooh, it is time for Tool of the Week, where I cover something that, yeah, I think you might find fun or useful. In this case, I think it's kind of both. Uh, and it's something that, so a couple things. Um, I, I mentioned this years ago on Sovereign Tech. And at the time, you could get your hands, I think it was up for pre-order, you could get your hands on it. I was a little, I, was a, I wasn't skeptical. I love the idea of the technology that I'm about to talk about. Um, I love the, the, the abstract concept all the way, but the company at the time I was actually, well, full disclosure, I was trying to get them on board as an advertiser with free talk live. And they started to pull some, in my opinion, really shady shit, like saying, Oh, you know, well, we're not exactly at that stage, but Hey, let's do an interview. And then we can kind of gauge interest from that. And it's like, no, 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 look, you either, you either want to, you know, be an advertiser and accept the fact that you're going to reach an incredible audience or, you know, you're, you're kind of full of it. And so I, I, I understand, I, I get it that it's a startup mentality that they have, but now this product is finally starting to, to, you know, really come together and it's finally out there and you can buy it more directly, not just, uh, through varying, you know, like, like a Kickstarter process, which it was years ago. Uh, the project it's called Gotenna, 
G-O and then antenna, like antenna. Uh, and it's a brilliant, it, I, look, I'm telling you, it's a brilliant fucking idea. Okay, it really, really is. Uh, in fact, it was founded by uh, Daniela Perdomo. Uh, obviously, she knew exactly what she was doing here, you know, in, in, in making this. Um, you can get them. They cost. Well, I should explain what it is. This is mesh networking, probably in its purest form. Okay, uh, and what it does, all it is, is an antenna that connects via Bluetooth to. Well, they basically show it connecting to your smartphone. I don't see any reason why there couldn't be apps built, and maybe there are now, but why there couldn't be apps built for your PC that would allow you to use it with your PC as well. Uh, but mainly, it is something that connects via Bluetooth to your smartphone. And then it creates this antenna that you can strap. You know, it's so many inches long. I don't even think it's a foot long. It's not long at all. Uh, you can, It has like a little boot, uh, like a little strap on it that you can strap on to, say, a backpack or something. Because, you know, the initial use case that people imagine, obviously, would be uh, where it could work uh, when you're out hiking or something and there's no cell service. Well, what this allows is, is that you and another person with a Gotenna could, depending upon how many Gotennas are involved, depending upon, con, you know, conditions like geographic conditions and all this, at its furthest, you could potentially communicate over 10 miles away with these with Gotennas. But also it helps if there's more Gotennas that you could hop off of uh, effectively. But it is mesh networking and it will connect via Bluetooth. Then you have an app. And with that app, it's encrypted and all, you know, your communications are encrypted and you send, you know, you can text via this Gotenna and then you don't need to have cell service. You don't need to have any data service whatsoever. It all just functions through your Gotenna. Uh, and you can have a few of them connected. I, I don't know what exactly the upper limit is on these, uh, but it's a really cool idea. The idea of having it, it's again, it's mesh networking. You know, you have your own little antenna that you can connect to via Bluetooth with whatever device you have. And then you can connect to other people who also have one of these, uh, you know, w that also has a Gotenna. Very simple, very basic. They run 179, I think, per pair. I don't think it's, yeah, it's for a pair, not 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 a piece. Um, in the messaging app that they offer within it, uh, you know, is, it'll you know, it has emojis, all this different stuff. Uh, I, I mean, like, I think they have their own built-in messenger that's pretty well fleshed out. But I think you can use just about anything be between the two uh, in, or anything that can adapt to the fact that you're not, you're not having a data connection to the big bad internet anyway. Uh, so yeah, you can message. Um, there's probably going to be, you know, future applications of what you could do with it beyond just messaging, but that alone is, is really, you know, is really worthwhile. In fact, we're probably going to talk about this kind of concept a little bit more, um, in the tech history segment coming up. So, but go tennis serious now. I mean, you, you, anybody can get their hands on it. Anybody can buy it and it genuinely works. Uh, and again, the, you know, using it while hiking and all this, I think that that's, in my opinion, that's just, mar that's marketing. That's like, that's just for starters. That's to get people to see kind of the use case application, the real application for this. Um, and the link in the show notes actually talks about it a bit. It's a story from, uh, from motherboard is when say you are doing various activism, um, perhaps you're at certain events where you need your own network and you don't, you also don't want to rely, uh, on, you know, perhaps the chance or, you know, maybe you're concerned that, uh, the police will shut down mobile networks within an area. We know they can do that. We know that they do do that. Uh, kind of reminds me of a fire chat, fire chat. 
uh, where it was this app that was used uh, particularly in was in the Hong Kong protests where it it just it was able to use Wi-Fi direct and Bluetooth and I think the uh, Apple's multi-peer connectivity framework to where they didn't need an actual data connection, the phones would just connect to each other and they'd be their own mesh network. So Gotenna is that idea, but it's it's in a implementation that can work over greater distances. Again, the 10 miles one, I imagine situations have to be pretty perfect. You have to have other Gotenna users in between that you could hop off of and everything. But you could still get a really good distance out of it. Um, I These kinds of technologies are so important because individuals need to really take control of their means of communication and not rely upon the telcos so much uh, and not rely upon you know, even ISPs and everything. I mean, mesh networking is every time I get the chance to talk about it, uh, I love to do that. It, it's kind of been a subject that, that's been co-opted because now mesh networks, when people hear the term mesh network, they generally think of IoT. They think of Internet of Things and they think of like the different protocols that your modern routers use to, to you know, talk to Internet of Things devices and not actually for people to talk to each other in a decentralized fashion, which that's what excites me. Goten is that reality. It's, it's a real, it's an attempt at that reality. I think it's exciting. I'll be right back with more. Hey, woo! You know, talk about open source technologies, taking advantage of open source technologies and all that. How about doing that with a little bit of style? Okay, here's how you're going to use that style. You're going to go, you're going to use Unix stickers. Okay, you're going to go to stickers.sovereigntech.com. That's the URL, stickers.sovereigntech.com. Make sure you use that URL, okay? Uh, and that that will take you right to Unix stickers. Unix stickers offers an incredible selection of all kinds of stickers. There's Bitcoin stickers, there's BSD stickers, there's all kinds of Linux stickers. Like, you know, all of these case badges that you like to put on there. But that's not all. They also have, uh, they have T-shirts, hoodies, some of the coolest ones in the world. I still, I say it every week but I love the one Linux is not a crime. That is awesome. Uh, there's Fedora shirts. Oh man, that's so cool. Anyway, check it out. Stickers.sovereigntech.com. And I thank Unix stickers for being on board with the show. Let's get back to it. Pixel. Dr. Goldblossom and I got away from the Nazi base. We're at the position on the dark side of the moon where he said we'd find it, but we don't see anything. Excellent, Agent Sovereign, Dr. Goldblossom. The plan continues, and what we came here for is right in front of you. Where are you, Pixel? I'm already inside it. I don't believe it. It looks so... It is time for tech history. And you know, I'm actually, I'm going to co-opt this segment. Okay. I'm calling an audible as they would say, uh, where originally this is going to be the story of the week, but I kind of bumped it out because I wanted to talk about other things during that. Uh, this isn't exactly tech history, but this is pretty fascinating. This also, and I, I want to put this disclaimer out there. I usually, I, I tell sovereign tech listeners, look, as soon as you hear the word quantum run away or shields up what you know whatever be very very wary as soon as you hear the words quantum well the story i'm about to share with you is the you know the the accurate use 
of the term quantum because we're talking about pure, genuine science. No woo-woo, no mysticism, uh, you know, no ex post facto rationalizations of, I don't know, Hinduism or something. This is straight up quantum. <laughs> well, let's read it, okay? This is the real deal. Uh, and this is very exciting. In fact, it's pretty appertinent to what we were just talking about with Gotenna. Okay, where, you know, this concept of mesh networking, you're going to see what I'm talking about here in a second. So this is from Gizmodo, the story. Uh, Physicists use lasers to set up first underwater quantum communications link. So reading here, quantum mechanics may force you to think some wild things about the way the universe works, but it has some real applications. One of the theory's main quirks allows for a special kind of quantum link, one that can send incredibly secure messages or transmit data for quantum computing. Tests of these links exist on Earth, in space, and now underwater. Um, so, okay, now, well, actually, they'll mention it here quickly. Chinese scientists have already set up this quantum leak between the ground and a satellite, and even, quote-unquote, quantum teleported a particle, which, that's not really teleportation. Uh, but anyway, uh, given the importance of underwater communications, like the fiber optics used to transmit telephone and internet data, one team reports that they've now performed the crucial test required to set up an underwater quantum link without any cables. Okay. So stallion breaking in. Now we've talked about this. There was the there and, and there's some debate over how well it worked, but yes, uh, the Chinese government did test, uh, you know, a satellite in space and sending transmissions, sending data through like through a, a, you know, quantum encrypted data effectively through a laser. Okay. And, and it appeared to work and that way, you know, what, whoever tried to intercept this transmission, you know, again, because of, um, because of what they call a quantum link, it was completely encrypted and, you know, there's, there's no way that they're going to be able to read it. We also talked about years ago, how, uh, th there is, you know, the ca cabling and systems, uh, connectivity systems. I don't want, I, I hesitate to use the word modem that where it's a very short distance, okay, just a few meters, but you could have a quantum secured, quantum linked, okay, uh, you know, network of computers. And they don't have to be quantum computers either, but they would take advantage of the encryption that a quantum link provides, okay, uh, where, you know, where, where nothing is going to break what's going on between. But it has to be this physical connection. I mean, what the Chinese government pulled off was was very interesting because it didn't need to have a physical connection uh, as to where these quantum these physical quantum link cables certainly did but those work very well um, and I, they're already being tested in banks and I'm I'm sure that various alphabet soup organizations for the government are make are taking full advantage of them as well but now this is where things can get a little more interesting okay uh, and this is where those tech where quantum link technology and that quantum encryption is being used underwater which it's true that the bulk of i mean so the, you know you have those very uh very thick <laughs> you know uh, in fact they're still building new ones where you have the you know these fiber optic you know data lanes running you know all along the ocean from continent to continent um that that most of you know the internet traffic th that goes around the world i mean that's how it goes around so Replacing that with something perhaps a little more practical or something that is fully encrypted end to end is obviously a laudable goal and something that, fuck yeah, I want that. Uh, but let's read on with the story a bit. 
The results are super preliminary, but, quote, confirm the feasibility of a seawater quantum channel, representing the first step towards underwater quantum communication, end quote. The researchers write in a study published this month in the journal Optic Express. Whether there will ever be an application for such an underwater link remains to be seen. But if the researchers are successful in the difficult challenge of extending it past the 10 feet, it's all they tested it on 10 feet uh, that they tested it. It could mean a new way to send quantum encrypted messages between submarines or send data from quantum computers between locations separated by water. So, OK, before we break it, well, they give a nice little technical breakdown here of how that works. Um, I'm going to talk. I'll, I'll, I'll read that quick. So here's your quick quantum mechanics crash course. The tiniest units of matter like electrons and photons. Uh, photons are just you know little bits of light. Individual units of light can behave like both waves and particles at the same time. Each of these units properties are quantized, meaning the properties can only take on certain assigned values before you actually observe the properties it's impossible to tell what the value is. You just get a probability assigned to each of the possible options in a list called the wave function. Once you measure the system, the wave function collapses and the unit assumes the properties you observe. The weird stuff kicks in when you entangle particles together, making them interact in a way that the particles must be described using the same list of probabilities. No matter how far apart the particles separate, they still seem to be aware of one another, such that observing the properties of one immediately causes the other particle to assume its corresponding property. So how they pulled this off, okay, you know, how they ended up using effectively quantum entanglement to create this, what's, you know, what's now being called quantum encryption, okay, is that they changed the, the uh, like, they, they used a couple of lasers with different polarizations, okay, that way, it, it, different ways that the, the waves are traveling as far as that goes. And then, almost like public key cryptography, okay, they split the beams, the, like they literally split the laser beams. Okay. I mean, I know this is kind of hard to imagine without thinking of Hansel's blaster or something, but anyway, they split the beams and that allows for that, that quantum encryption. All right. I mean, it's, it's pretty fascinating stuff. The problem, part of the problem of the practicality of all this, uh, like first off there, will there ever be an application for this? There should instantaneously be an application for this. The simple fact of the matter is, is that you don't, you, as far as we know, you can't really crack quantum encryption. Okay. So you want quantum encryption because as we talked about in recent episodes, the argument over whether things should be encrypted is fucking over. It's done and over encrypt the fuck out of everything, whether you're a government, a bank, whatever, whatever, whatever uh, organization or individual, or obviously it's the most important for the individual because the individual is the most important thing in the universe. Okay. Um, you know, whatever, whatever way you, you, you slice it, you want encryption. It doesn't matter. You need encryption. It doesn't matter who you are, what you are. All right. So that debate's over and it is, you know, we only need, I mean, we don't need any more exploits. We don't need any more uh, consumer data leaks. We don't need any more of that crap to know that everything should be encrypted, encrypted. Okay. So would it be a great idea to have our communications going around the world be completely encrypted, perhaps through underwater tubes? And that's part of the thing too, is that, yeah, we, uh, so, okay. Now, one thing we know from say the Snowden revelations and some other things is that those pipes that are running between continents, okay, that is transmitting all this data, that's transmitting the internet, phone lines, and all this, have been physically cracked into, okay, like they they've they have been um, 
you know, they've been exploited. Uh, they've been cracked to where, yeah, I mean, people are, you know, the NSA, whoever else is reading a lot of what ends up going through that. Okay. Now with this, with this new system, this underwater quantum link being proposed and that has already been tested at least 10 feet. Okay. You are st- the way that it's set up now, you still need to have some kind of a tube. Okay. That that's that you run the actual lasers through. Okay. They're not just going to go through the water. I mean, that would be, if it was just running through the water, that would be phenomenal. Right. Because then you don't need infrastructure. You just send, you know, it's, it's like a Li-Fi, you know, laser, which Li-Fi is a real thing, you know, where you are wirelessly transmitting data, you know, via laser. Okay. That's, that's not exactly what you'd have here. You know, that that's when things I mean, I think if that was what was possible, people would be jumping all over this because, again, you know, the infrastructure costs for transmitting data, you know, overseas would become next to nothing. But that's not the deal. So you still need to have some kind of a tubes and you run into problems with, you know, how well are these tubes going to work and everything. And they could be considered central point of failure. But so why do this? If you still need the infrastructure, if you still need tubes running from continent to continent, why bother? Because. The NSA and others, they're not going to be able to, you know, they they can't crack into it. It's not like they can just drill into lines or something. The quantum encryption, you know, whatever they try to read, as soon as they try to read it, as we described how, well, how quantum mechanics work in general, it would instantly become meaningless to them. So this would thwart governments. So, yeah, of course you want this. I mean, this is this is a brilliant thing. The application exists for that reason alone to where. No matter who the malicious actor is, they're not going to see what's being transmitted. So I think this is incredibly exciting. I mean, yeah. All right. So they've only they've only gone 10 feet with it. I get that. Okay, but here's the thing is that what they said was is that even if we can't get it to even if they couldn't get it to go, you know, like in one shot, they couldn't get it to go from New York to London. What you could do is that you'd have a series of submarines and it could work like a mesh network where it would just bounce off of and, you know, and send and, and resend from uh, every, you know, every submarine. And because it's quantum encryption and, and the way that because it's a quantum link, the way I described it to you with splitting the lasers and all that, like you can't that you can't actually change what's getting transmitted to somebody else because it would be, you know, it ends quantum encryption ends up getting proof. It's it's very much like public key cryptography where, where it works like a zipper. OK, you've got to have that exact matching zipper, you know, side of the zipper at the other end. Otherwise, you know, you can't use uh, what what's, you know, you can't read what's being sent to you. Okay. You can't view it. So it would, it, it creates provability with quantum link, which that's very important. Um, so that means, you know, nobody can, can really, or at least based upon our present understanding of computer science and, you know, the laws of physics in general, um, you know, you're not, you're not going to be able to break this. Uh, so that's cool. And also, again, you could have a series of submarines or we could get really fancy, really, really fancy. And two other possibilities. One is, is that and I look, I'm, I'm going way out there with this one, but this could be a communication system that could exist um, within or well, not not within, but a communication system that could exist between, say, underwater colonies which I am so on board with that. Now, I mean, for it to work with the submarines to some degree, yes, they are talking about making it to where uh, it could go straight through the water. And, and, you know, instead of like needing all that infrastructure and tubing and everything, I mean, that's still a goal that they're going for. So, but that's a potential, but uh, you know, submarines are pretty much all military, uh, pretty much. 
so that doesn't excite me. Okay, I, you know, I have no no desire to to you know make the military any more efficient. But between underwater colonies, oh fuck, this would be great. Or you could have what Microsoft has been working on for the past couple of years, where they are setting up underwater server farms. What if those server farms could communicate with quantum links? That that is a totally practical application for this. Uh, that I think it would be absolutely brilliant. You know, because then you have all these different server farms. I mean, and you just drop them and lay them out wherever. And then, you know, boom, laser, boom, 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 <laughs> right? I mean, between each one. And then you also you save money on infrastructure because you're already connecting those servers anyway. Which right now they're just, they're, they're like sitting offshore. But if we laid them out in the middle of the ocean and, you know, all they needed was lasers to communicate with each other. Yeah, this Quantum Link stuff, very exciting. We'll be right back with some more. Babylon 5 ended a great war and united a hundred alien races in peace. Danger didn't die. It just went underground with new heroes and new evils to carry the torch. We need to make sure they all understand we will not be intimidated. What is wrong with you people? We have to set him against himself. It's an entire new season of Babylon 5 with all new episodes. Babylon 5 is available for download on your favorite torrent site. See it now to experience the greatest show in television history, Babylon 5. Welcome aboard the Hypercronius, Agent Sovereign. It's incredible, Pixel. Contact Stephanie and Valeria. Let them know we'll be swinging by the Antarctica base to pick them up. I can't believe something this old is still functioning. What can this thing do, Pixel? More like, what can't it do, Agent Sovereign? And it's all yours. It's not the only thing that's all yours tonight, Agent Sovereign. Dr. Goldblossom, I... Being on the bridge of a starship is such a turn-on. Brian, why don't you take the center chair and let me... Mm. Dr. Goldblossom. time for the climax Woo! <laughs> uh, um yeah wow what do i say after that <laughs> my, my brain anyway uh so this you know the climax is where i can talk about anything i could talk about a book tv show movie uh you name it and i've actually i've been a bit lax on some of the movie stuff um i was i really 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 wanted to see uh terminator 3d in Terminator 2 3D in theaters again. Maybe I'll still get around to that. But anyway, what I what I want to get into uh, this week is a show that its second season got released uh, relatively recently. Um, I'm actually really glad I waited to review it until its second season came out. And this is an Amazon Prime uh, original. And it is The Man in the High Castle or The Man in the High Castle. Uh, this is based off of a classic Philip K. Dick book. The show is drastically different 
from the book. There's there's very, in my opinion, there's very little point in comparing uh, the, or, you know, talking about the two or expecting one to live up to the other. Um, they change things quite a bit uh, like so with the man in the high castle, what this is. It's an alternate, I think it's 1962 is the exact year that it takes place in. Um, It is an alternate universe where uh, the Nazis and the Japanese, you know, the Axis powers won World War II and America lost. And now America is split in two where you have the Pacific States, which is owned by the Japanese. It's mostly the West Coast. Then you have a little bit of area in between in the Rockies uh, called the neutral zone. And then on the other side of that, you have, I think, what they call the Greater Nazi Reich, uh, which is all owned by uh, by Germany. As far as what's happening in the rest of the world, they never really discuss what's going on with like Italy or Russia or anything like that. South America seems to be an area not controlled by the Reich because there is discussions of visits to South America to spread the good word of Hitler. Um This is a show, it started, I guess, 2015, and between seasons, it had some, in fact, there's another plot point I need to get to, but I'll just say this, between seasons, between season one and season two, they, like, lost their entire creative team, if I remember correctly, and there was a lot of problems, and my opinion, you see it. It's noticeable that season one and season two are very, very different. So anyway, this the man in the high castle is this figure that you keep hearing about, uh, particularly throughout season one, who has control of these films, uh, these films that, you know, in good old fashioned film canisters that show you that show people an alternate uh, what appears to be an alternate universe or it shows what happened, what you know, what happened in the real world as in our world where the U S actually won uh, world war two. And so, you know, there's a resistance movement against uh, obviously both the Japanese as well as um, you know, as well as the Nazis. And so it, it kind of follows that varying characters within it. One of them is technically considered Jewish, even though under Judaism, he wouldn't be considered Jewish. Uh, that's the character of Frank Frick, who is one of the main characters from the novel originally, if I remember. It's been a long time since I read the novel. But anyway, he, his grandfather's Jewish, and so it's on his father's on his father's side even. And so I think, or I know that, you know, unless it's matrilineal descent, you're not really Jewish in, you know, in, in Judaism itself. So regardless, he's considered a Jew, so is, so is the rest of his family and everything. And, and that has certain plot points in it obviously, and whatever. Um, there's a, another main character uh, named Juliana Crane, who she's kind of the main, main character of all this, which she ends up joining the resistance and doing other things. And, you know, spoiler alerts, I guess I, I don't, I don't really have to give anything away. I don't think necessarily to, to cover what's going on, but, or, you know, to talk about the show. But anyway, the main difference and the only point that it's really worth talking about the novel in comparison to the TV show, the main difference is that in the novel, it was like a meta novel, right? So the the man in the high castle was, you know, in the novel, you had what was going around it wasn't films. It was just an, uh, a novel written that described what could have been an alternate reality where the U.S. could have won instead. And that novel within the novel. OK, that's why it's a meta novel. The novel within the novel that Philip K. Dick wrote is, you know, is very inspiring to people and it's inspiring to the resistance and, and all that. This is a, this is a case where I think that 
the the book makes more logical sense. The book being Philip K. Dick's The Man in the High Castle makes more logical sense than the TV show. In fact, it's downright frustrating that it isn't well, in my opinion, well into like season two. And even then, we still don't exactly know, like even have to look at like production notes to totally understand what's going on with the show. We still don't exactly know, like, where do these films come from? What's the origin of these films? You know, that 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 this whole show centers around and everything. I mean, I get it. I I understand that. All right. Spoiler alerts. You're really going to want to turn this off because it's part of the mystery of the whole goddamn show. Okay, I understand that they are supposed to be from actual alternate universes and alternate timelines. And that's where it gets kind of crazy is that. And then you have characters like going like uh, to the character of Tagami played by the amazing Kerry Tagawa. I love Kerry Tagawa with all my heart. Uh, just one of the best actors ever. He brings so much presence and gravitas uh, to this show. And especially in season one, he is like the, he is the anchor of the show, not even the main characters. Um, but anyway, like, you know, he starts jumping between universes and everything. And it just gets so weird as to where the original Philip K. Dick novel is, you know, an interesting ideological battle, but it's also a straight actioner in that, you know, okay, no, it's just this novel. Like, yeah, it's, it's alternate history, but it's not really science fiction so much. Um, and I, and I get, I know it's, what is it? It's the Heisenberg device or whatever that, that they end up making that that's what allows for, that's what opens the gateways between these alternate universes. I mean, and, and again, most of this isn't even really explained well in the show. It's very weird. Uh, the production levels of the show are great. The acting is phenomenal. Like Rufus Sewell is, I mean, ever since Dark City, been one of my top actors. I love that guy. Uh, like I said, Kerry Tagawa is fantastic. You can go down the list of all the actors in this. It's awesome. Okay. The writing is, I mean, the lines, the way, you know, all of the, the little things in it are fantastic. The production values, fantastic. Uh, the music's pretty good. I mean, there, there's there's no real problem with it all, except that, like I said, with season one, you had a real mystery on your hands and it felt it felt like they had a goal. They were going somewhere with all this season two feels like they went in a completely different direction. And like I said, they did end up with a completely different creative team. And I don't I, I don't I think it's just far more confusing than it's ever been season two. And it's weird, too, because uh, by the ratings, season two has higher ratings than season one. I totally disagree. I think season one was brilliant. Uh, if I reviewed just season one, I'd say this is. Yeah, I mean, this is one of the best things on television. But add in season two and it's boring. It's it, honestly, it's straight up boring and you're not getting any, you're not getting any of the payoffs with it. Um, the explanation of what's going on with the films and all that is incredibly lackluster, uh, leaves, leaves a whole lot to be desired and just ends up becoming very confusing. And now it just seems like they're playing more into kind of the, the petty politics, uh, within the Nazi regime like that, that, that seems to be what's going on because well here, spoiler alerts, Hitler finally dies. Hitler's still alive. And like in season one, in fact, it's one of those rare moments in, in, uh, you know, film history, be it television or cinematic or whatever, where, yeah, I mean, you get to see the character of Hitler. I mean, that is on, on a, on a broad scale, that's a very rare event. You know, <laughs> I mean, we don't always get inglorious bastards or something. Um, so, yeah, I, I think I think there were major changes made, uh, you know, between season one and season two by the production, by the new production team. And I think it shows and I think I think the show has like is aimless. 
I think it's totally aimless. Uh, in fact, what you find out at the end of season two with, uh, you know, with a family member of uh, Juliana Crane, you'll know what I'm talking about. I won't give the, that one away. Was was obviously a rewrite. I mean, they just there's there's no plan with this. There's no plan in the films. I feel like the film story it could have been interesting if they went a different direction with it. But the idea that it's just showing them a bunch of different alternate universes, I I think it's fucking it's boring. It's confusing. It's needlessly complex. Uh, to where you know this could be an interesting alternate history to explore. I mean, and how do you do it right? Well, I'll tell you something. Honestly, Wolfenstein, New Blood, right? Uh, or the new order that's, and there's the sequel coming out. Those are the video games that, that take place in, I think in the sixties in an alternate universe where the Nazis won world war two, far more engaging a story. And it's a fucking first person shooter game, which aren't known for their stories unless it's half-life. Okay. I mean, I, yeah, I, I think this shows, I don't know. It, I mean, it picks up a little bit. And again, the actor, some of the acting is like Rufus Sewell is so engaging that it's tough not to want to watch it just for him. But as far as like a show, I will never watch this show again. Like I'll, it'll never be a repeat watch. And I consider that an important metric for television shows is that would you watch it all over again? Um, and I, you know, and I think if you, if you're willing to do that two, three times, you have a great show on your hands. For example, glow. Okay. Which I reviewed, uh, you know, a couple months ago, the show glow on Netflix about the, you know, glamorous ladies of wrestling, right? One of the best shows ever made. I could watch that first season over and over again. And I can't wait for the second season. Man in the High Castle, I am not enthused. They are going to have to do something so drastic in season three, if season season three even becomes a thing. Uh, I'm just, I'm not impressed. I I, I, I think it's it's kind of crap, uh, really. And, and, and you can, you just, you can so tell that they've done a complete 180 in what, and I don't know what direction they wanted the show to go in, but you can really tell that they, they've done a complete 180 in the direction that it was supposed to go. I will give it this though, considering that it came out in 2015, a lot of the verbiage, which yes, it's world war two verbiage. I mean, terms like fascists, Nazis, resistance. I mean, like there, and there's, there's a lot of other specific ones. It's interesting. I, I feel I'm, I'm a little amazed that a show that came out like a year before a lot of kind of the rise of look, I'm not saying the alt-right hasn't always been or hasn't been around for a while, but kind of the rise of the alt-right and neo-Nazi, you know, the present rise of neo-Nazis and the alt-right and all that. It's interesting that a lot of the terms that say the opposition to these groups uses was getting, you know, doled out pretty heavily uh, about a year or two. I mean, as far as production, you know, obviously it took over a year to make the show, um, you know, two years before those reentered, I think the popular lexicon, uh, you know, or the popular consciousness. Uh, so I, you know, that, that's an interesting thing. I don't, I don't know what, to, what to make of that. If anybody's rooting for the show right now, I sort of feel like because it has an anti-Nazi message and, you know, it's so big on the resistance and all this that, that that's that's why they're into it because otherwise this the show doesn't have I mean the acting's great but otherwise it has no redeeming value uh, in my opinion and the the mystery's not enough you know like like the mystery of the films and all that stuff it it all feels like because you know another book that did this was was Fight Club now Fight Club had a lot of redeeming qualities that you can enjoy uh, anyway but the book was far superior with Fight Club mainly because there were points that made logical sense like where. 
Um, when Tyler Durden is driving the car and he does the whole just let go and they crash the car and everything and they ever puts on their seatbelts and all that. It didn't make any sense that if Jack is the one actually driving the car, like is he having like how did, how did that work? Like there were things in the movie that that didn't allow you to really figure out what was happening in the movie. You know, when I think you should be allowed to sort of figure it out, it's where in the book. Jack and Tyler are talking in the backseat of the car, and the cronies are actually doing the driving, like the you know the Fight Club cronies or the Project Mayhem uh, cronies are driving it. So it makes more sense. So this is another case where the book makes a lot more sense, and the the show they just I don't know they went way out into La La Land. They 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 lost their so yeah. I don't recommend uh, the Man in the High Castle, but I do recommend whew, if you love Sovereign Tech, become a patron. SovereignTech.com. I will see you on the other side, baby. You just experienced Sovereign Tech. Go to SovereignTech.com, that's S-O-V-R-Y-N-Tech.com, and connect with us there. Find links from today's show and catch our podcast feed. Sovereign Tech is copy heart. Copying art is an act of love, and love is not subject to law. So please, share the show however you like. Welcome to the evolution.